Hi, welcome to the first episode of Stop Slow Love. As this is the first episode, I'd like to give a brief introduction of myself. My name is Jason Shamatutu, and I'm in my fifth year of undergraduate studies at Queen's University, majoring in global development studies, and completing a business certificate. My mother is from Alberta and is a nurse educator working with patients and nurses in a palliative care section of a hospital in Vancouver. And my father is from Zambia and is currently working in a high school as an assistant for students dealing with autism. And I have one older brother who is in med school at UBC. We all grew up together in the greater Vancouver area. I was a starter on the varsity football team here for four years. In my first year, I was an OUA All-Rookie All-Star, and after my fourth year, I signed with an agent, received an invitation to the CFL Regional Combine, but decided to end my ambition to play professional football because of injuries and concussions. Now I'm a part of the Queen's Committee Against Racial and Ethnic Discrimination and Queen's Solidarity for Palestinian Human Rights. I've overcome escapism habits like addiction, anxiety, and depression. And now I'm practicing optimizing my health and living a life that I love. So this podcast is dedicated to helping anyone overcome barriers, preventing them from living happy, healthy lifestyles, and seeks to help us improve our relationships with ourselves, each other, and Mother Earth. If we look at the amount of pollution in the world, and listen to David Suzuki, we have the opportunity to create a beautiful, clean planet where all species can thrive. This podcast will help listeners to find peace of mind, gain knowledge on healthy practices for all aspects of health, and expand their perception of life and their consciousness. It will include a commentary on historical events that have shaped our world, such as colonization, and give new perspectives on how we can move forward as a collective group, respecting each other's differences. Without further ado, here's the background to this first episode called Inclusion of All Cultural Groups Responding with Love. During the fall semester, I was a part of the Queen's Black Academic Society, the Queen's Committee Against Racial and Ethnic Discrimination, Queen's Solidarity for Palestinian Human Rights, and the Global Development Studies Student Council. It was very busy, so I left QBAS and the Devs DSC. I was exposed to different conversations surrounding equity and inclusion at Queens, and was shocked to discover different harmful experiences minority groups have dealt with on campus, such as microaggressions in first-year residences. So here's a definition of microaggression. Racial microaggressions are brief and commonplace daily verbal, behavioral, or environmental indignities, whether intentional or unintentional, that communicate hostile, derogatory, or negative racial slights and insults towards people of color. So here's an example of a microaggression within a conversation. Before we met, when I first saw your name, I thought you were going to be one of those quiet Asians, you know? And my mom was all like, well, maybe she'll spend all her time in the library, so you'll have the room to yourself. I'm so glad you're not like that. End of quote. Instances such as these create an uncomfortable space, 
and the person on the receiving end may feel disrespected but unable to verbalize their emotions at the time of the comment. In response to an increasing number of reported incidences of microaggressions, there are many voices advocating an attack mentality, focusing on anti-racism and anti-anything. You know, I remember seeing an attack on whiteness, which is a word for identifying the white supremacy system of power. You know, white males being lead earners in Canada in the United States. Personally, I believe this solution to only focus on attacking is regressive. And here's a personal example of why I think like this. Last year at Halloween, I shared a cultural appropriation. Last year at Halloween, I shared a cultural appreciation, not appropriation video from MTV's YouTube channel with one of my Caucasian friends, which mentioned this term, uh, whiteness. And he was offended because he is a kind person and does not embody the negative description of the blanket term. My mother is Caucasian. And I wonder how she feels whenever she sees attacks on whiteness. I think it's important to recognize adversity when it arises, but to have a progressive mindset that ensures no one is getting offended by avoiding blanket terms such as this. The conversation I had with my friend is the inspiration for this episode. I'd like to share about someone I recently learned about named Cassandra Vietin and she is a PhD is the president and CEO of the Institute of Neotic Sciences a scientist at California Pacific Medical Center and a licensed clinical psychologist she's an international speaker and workshop leader and co-wrote the book Living Deeply the Art and Science of Transformation in Everyday Life she gave a talk on changemaker skills because this is what her research studies. So she studies how to make change in the world. Okay, so there are three main points from her talk that can give us all a better understanding of how to move forward as a collective. The first is, in order to change, it's important to talk about what you're moving towards, not away from. Number two, offer an experience of a new way. It's better to add activities than try to take them away. Number three, provide direct experiential opportunities for them, whoever it might be, to live this new way. For example, let us not focus on eliminating racist parties at Queen's University, such as one that happened two years ago. Instead, let us focus on creating more cultural appreciation nights, more nights where we can come together and learn to respect and love one another and just be together with each other. So... <clears throat> Among social justice groups at Queens and conversations 
in diversity panels, there have been issues raised that diversity is lacking and there's a need for a more culturally inclusive and aware community. My opinion is we have the opportunity to move forward together as one big family, one big group, rather than as individual groups separated by ethnicity, race, or other identities. While there are initiatives to respect different minority cultures, so QBAS has a conference on embracing blackness, I think it's important to respect all cultures as well and not scapegoat cultures or races as being generally racist. Also important is finding balance between people of similar cultures having their own nights and, and inclusive nights where everyone is welcome. So night, some nights just dedicated towards, say, you know, the Tamil students have their, have a Tamil culture night. And then on another night, we have something with everyone, like the global community night. So here's a summary that just gives you a problem, solution, and my vision. So the current problem is minorities on campus don't feel respected and are voicing concerns of safety and lack of inclusion. I'd like us to consider the background of perpetrators of racism or discrimination. Some folks grew up in spaces where cultural diversity was lacking and they rarely saw a face that was a different color than their own. As a result, these folks may not understand how to interact with people of different cultures and may rely on stereotypes as an attempt to relate with someone from a new culture or race. It is important not to blame them for this attempt to relate as their upbringing did not require them to learn to appreciate different cultures and ethnic groups. From personal experience, I'm lucky because I grew up in the greater Vancouver area of British Columbia which is very multicultural. I wish to share that despite this, I still had flaws. Okay, I still had prejudices towards different ethnic groups. And this helped me to learn to get to know many different cultures. And my friend group was diverse. Being around people from different races and cultures naturally helped me to appreciate differences. Now for a solution. Our response to microaggressions and ignorant racism is something called calling someone in in contrast to calling someone out. I'll start with what many may be familiar with, calling out. This involves getting angry at someone who openly uses offensive and discriminatory language, sometimes yelling and lecturing people on the impact of their words. It creates an us versus them mentality and it doesn't work. It makes both parties uncomfortable. Calling someone in, on the other hand, involves talking with the perpetrator to make them realize the negative impact of their words without making them feel like they're a terrible person. It addresses the problem, provides replacement vocabulary, and helps them gain a greater understanding of the world around them. This avoids insulting the perpetrator and allows them to get a realization about what they're saying. When we are in group settings, calling someone in can be intimidating at first. So we can talk to that person one-on-one -on -one at a more appropriate time for us. 
Another solution is a compression practice I've been doing every morning and before going to sleep for about a year from a man named Leo Babota, a simplicity blogger and author. He created Zen Habits, a top 25 blog with 1 million readers. He's a best-selling author, husband, father of six children, and a vegan. Shout out. His blog, Zen Habits, chronicles and shares what he's learned while changing a number of habits, including quitting smoking, becoming a runner, waking early, becoming organized and productive, eating healthier, becoming a vegan, losing weight, and more. This compassion practice is inspired by the Dalai Lama. The following is one of seven sections on how to respond to those who mistreat us. Here it goes. The final stage in these compassion practices is to not only want to ease the suffering of those we love and meet, but even those who mistreat us. When we encounter someone who mistreats us, instead of acting in anger, withdraw. Later, when you are calm and more detached, reflect on that person who mistreated you. Try to imagine the background of that person. Try to imagine what that person was taught as a child. Try to imagine the day or week that person was going through and what kind of bad things had happened to that person. Try to imagine the mood and state of mind that person was going through, the suffering that person must have been going through to mistreat you that way, and understand that their action was not about you, but about what they were going through. Now think some more about the suffering of that poor person, and see if you can imagine trying to stop the suffering of that person, and then reflect that if you mistreated someone, and they acted with kindness and compassion toward you, whether that would make you less likely to mistreat that person the next time and more likely to be kind to that person. Once you have mastered this practice of reflection, try acting with compassion and understanding the next time a person treats you. Do it in little doses until you are good at it. Practice makes perfect. That's it for the exercise. Now in the vision for the future, Going forward, when someone mistreats us, we have the opportunity to pause for a moment, reflect on the world we wish to live in, and act accordingly. When we choose a loving, educating way to respond, it sends a message to the person who mistreated us that we are capable of living in a loving, caring environment, even if they have a cynical, pessimistic worldview. If we want to see change in the world, we must change ourselves first. It takes effort. As someone who was an ex-homophobe and held prejudices towards different races, I can share from my experience, making changes is a difficult task, and it is worth it because I find the more people I share love with, the more love I can experience. I've learned that emotions flow through us first before they are projected onto others. David Hawkins, PhD in psychology, shares this in his book on consciousness called Power Versus Force. Let us create environments of love. In conclusion, for those of us at Queens, let us be thankful we can study at this prestigious university. If you're not at Queens, I invite you to take a moment to reflect on something you're thankful for. Maybe you are thankful to have a sense of hearing that enables you to listen to this podcast. Thank you for listening. I hope you have a wonderful day. Much love.
This podcast is produced in collaboration with CFRC.ca in Kingston, Ontario. CFRC is located on traditional Anishinaabe and Haudenosaunee territory. Infrastructure support for the CFRC podcast project is provided by Queen's University's Faculty of Engineering and Applied Sciences. For more information or to get involved in podcasting, visit podcasts.cfrc.ca.